0: What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he
1: curious about today?
0: If it wasn't for a plaque by the side of the road, there wouldn't be much to announce the tubing archaeological site. Tucked away anonymously behind a chain link fence, it looks more like an ordinary field than anything else. This, and the site's location among thinly populated mountains, mean that most people in Taiwan have never heard of it. Yet finds here have impressed government experts so much that they have voted to name Chubing a site of national importance, a designation only nine other sites can claim. How has such an unassuming plot of grass attracted so much attention? And with so many archaeological sites to choose from in Taiwan, why has this site gotten into such a small club? Joining us today, as we dip our toes into Taiwan's prehistory, is Culture Ministry official Zhang Renji. In
1: 1980, he teacher, he teacher,
0: the Chubing site is in Nantou County's Renai Township, a big, rugged expanse of high mountains and beautiful scenery. It's a place where even today, big towns are relatively few. And it's certainly not the kind of place where archaeologists would have expected to uncover the remains of a sizable settlement. In fact, until Chen Zhongyu started digging here in 1980, no prehistoric remains had ever been found in Taiwan at such a high elevation. But while on an expedition there, Chen found stone artifacts at three spots along the side of a mountain road, showing that prehistoric people had once been very busy even this high up. Chen decided to come back a second time with an excavation team and find out what it was he had stumbled on. Three digs through the course of the 1980s showed that what Chen had found was a prehistoric village, or rather two prehistoric villages. One is older and further down in the ground than the other. It turned out that the site Chen had found had been inhabited twice at two different points in history, leaving two cultural layers and an unexplained gap of a thousand years in between. The oldest layer of settlement went back as far as around 4,000 years ago during Taiwan's late stone age. Eventually, the village seems to have vanished perhaps abandoned. Maybe, Mr. Zhang says, the environment in the area changed. Or maybe the people's culture and way of life did. Whatever happened to the first people here, no one touched the site for a millennium. Then, somewhere around 1300 to 1000 years ago, a new group of people settled down here and started a new Iron Age village on the same site. Between them, these two cultural layers left a lot for archaeologists to find. Some of the finds were to be expected. There were the remains of 48 houses. There were also the usual stone tools, made both by chipping and polishing. Special techniques evidently used to make these tools hint that even at early stages, there was some kind of division of labor, with a few people becoming experts in making these tools. There were everyday tools, things like adzes, grindstones, and spinning wheels. There were farming tools, things like stone axes and knives. There were lots of stone weights, of a kind once attached to fishing nets to make them sink. This and the village's position near a river point to the importance of fishing. Then there were spears and arrowheads, and the presence of bone tools as well as stone, showing that these were hunting people. Another kind of find was pottery, containers, jars, bowls, and cooking vessels. But then there were surprising finds— things that came out of the ground that didn't seem to belong in a place like this. One type of find that struck the team as odd was stone coffins, 171 of them. That might not seem too strange, but Mr. Zhang says that in Taiwan's prehistoric archeology, span stone coffin burials are supposed to be found on the east coast, far away from the Chubing site, beyond the high central mountain range stone coffin burials could not have been a local custom. They've only ever been found at one other site to the west of the Great Mountains. Then there was the jade. That too could only have come from far away on the east coast. It was after all Taiwan jade, and the Hualien area in the east is the only place on the island that produces it. Even today, with modern engineering, bridging the central mountains is a tricky business. Landslides are frequent in the mountains, and it only takes one single earthquake or typhoon to cut off the roads. And yet it seems that somehow, either directly or indirectly, people on both sides of the mountains were in contact, even under the more difficult conditions of prehistoric times. Somehow culture and ideas were permeating through the passes, and moving between the eastern and western halves of Taiwan. Mr. Zhang says, finds even suggest that the Chubing site itself could have played a key role in this exchange. Since 1987, no more digs have taken place at the site. I ask why this is, and whether there might still be more work to do there. Mr. Zhang says that more than 3,700 square meters, most of the site's area, has already been dug up. Besides, he says, excavation is only one part of archaeologists' work. And, he adds, you can't just disturb a site without some kind of scholarly goal. Once something at the site is disturbed, it can't be put back. For now, the site remains under protection, with the artifacts unearthed there stored at Academia Sinica, Taiwan's top research institute. But just because the site has lain quiet for so long doesn't mean that people haven't been thinking about it. In May, the Culture Ministry announced that it was designating the Chubing Site a National Archaeological Site. Even many Taiwanese people are likely unaware that Taiwan has such a thing as National Archaeological Sites, and so I asked Mr. Zhang what these are, and what it takes for a site to get on the list. After all, for a place of its small size, Taiwan has an awful lot of sites to choose from. Everything from prehistoric standing stones, to a Spanish fort buried beneath a modern shipyard. Mr. Zhang explains that Taiwanese law allows for certain locally protected sites to be elevated to sites of national importance. There has to be some kind of justification, and a committee will have to be convinced that the reasons given are good enough. A site might show an important stage in cultural development, or have especially rich contents. It could just happen to be especially well-preserved, or have some special educational value. That's not the only hurdle to getting on the list either. For a site to get national status, it also has to be representative of Taiwan as a whole. So far, there are three national sites in the Taipei area up north, two down in Kaohsiung, and four along the east coast. Xu Bing's addition to the list in May makes it the 10th site, and the only one in Taiwan's mountainous interior. Mr. Zhang says the committee this time agreed to add tubing to the list because of its regional cultural importance the fact that its two layers completely describe the area's cultural history the fact that it completely preserves the structure of a prehistoric settlement and because it covers a big area The upgrade to national site means more attention and potentially some kind of exhibition space or museum Mr. Zhang says that just a few months on from the decision to give the site an upgrade, it's still too early to tell what exactly will be done with the site. He says there will need to be more discussion. But the site and its treasures may well play an educational role in the future, becoming a place where visitors can see a slice of Taiwan's prehistory come alive. It could be that after thousands of years of quiet isolation, the Chubing site may be put into the spotlight. Its days off a mountain road and behind a chain-link fence may be coming to an end. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Naro. <laughs> Idini
1: to The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International.